You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We are the Fantasy Joes. Ryan here. This week, the Joes were lucky enough to sit down and talk with the great Matt Waldman. Well, at least two of the Joes were. Will and Trey, because I was sick. I missed the whole thing. But guys, I'm telling you, it's a fantastic episode. It's so great. We have to divide it into two parts. Part one is next. Will and Trey talk to Matt about 2019 quarterbacks and running backs. So sit back, relax, and listen to part one of the Joe's conversation with Matt Waldman. And so Matt, thank you for coming on the Fantasy Joe's podcast tonight. I really appreciate you coming on. One of the first things we want to talk about since we're the Fantasy Joes, you know, you know, we, we're going to have listeners that haven't heard a ton about the RSP and kind of what you are and, and you know, who you like, what you're all about. We want them to, one, to get your exposure to the RSP uh, for coming on here and that it's, it's just a great document that you can read. So for all the Fantasy Joes out there that could be listening that maybe aren't overly familiar with your work, could you give us maybe a couple minutes on, you know, your background, how you came about the RSP? And then what I wanted to add is what's your kind of end goal? Let's say you know, we're a dynasty fantasy football podcast. What's your end goal for a fantasy, you know, player? What, what would you like them to take away once they go and they dive into this document? Yeah, I think I'll answer that question first and then kind of work backwards from there. And I think that's that the end goal is I want you to become um, more knowledgeable about the game when it pertains to quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. That you understand a little bit more technically about the positions you also gain a little bit more of a broader-based knowledge about the business of the NFL when it comes to the draft and the decision-making that goes on behind it so that you're, you have a little bit more savviness compared to what you might hear from the mainstream media so that you can listen to things and get a better frame of perspective about what's really being said and what happens. And the reason that I can kind of say that those are my goals is that I've kind of come from a varied – um, background. And, and, and so, you know, what I want you to be able to get from this is that if you can see the game a little bit clearer, you can understand the techniques a little bit better, and you can understand the game within the game of the NFL draft and how people make decisions, you start to th- see through the BS a little bit more, and then you start to understand kind of how to um, go your own way and make decisions that are going to be best for your draft. And I think that as a result of that, you become less um, pinned to peer pressure and societal pressure about certain picks and you can make more um, risk oriented plays that are going to pay off. Um, And I would say an example, examples of that that have worked out well from RSP users have been guys like Patrick Mahomes and Nick Chubb and Jared Goff and Russell Wilson, and, um, you know, the list goes on. And it's, I've certainly made my own mistakes, but those are some, some Michael Thomas, another good example of that, or Travis Kelsey two to three years down the line. Um, but, I, you know, certainly my background's this. I didn't play football in an organized level. I didn't scout at any level, but I come from three kind of backgrounds that form the RSP, and that's a journalistic background, um, an operations management background and an artistic background as a musician. And they all form the RS kind of form the RSP in a sense, because the RSP, the, the draft is, or excuse me, um, player evaluation and is really a craft and football is a craft. Um, football players are performing on a stage. And the more I talk to football players for pros, you see that they're literally performance artists in a sense. And there's a lot of parallels to, um, to music that I make. And that's because there are a lot of parallels to music in terms of how these players do their, um, play their, their position and play the sport because the sport is technical. It's intellectual. There's theory involved. Um, but there's also understanding how to be intuitive within those situations. And those three, Areas that I studied in my life or had become done as professions um, really kind of informed the RSP because I started this as a fantasy writer back in, you know, started being a fantasy writer back in like 2003. And um, I wrote for a site called FF Today. They're still around. 
Um, you know, still good friends with Mike McGregor, who is, who still um, does a lot of great work there. And I, I specialized at a, a column called the gut check. And I still write that column at footballguys.com. And a lot of it was often focused on rookies um, or young players in the league who had yet to hit and kind of giving that perspective. And with my background in operations management, you know, I did a lot of work, you know, hiring, recruiting, doing quality processes for large teams of, um, you know, where I had to run teams with, you know, 2,500, 2,700 labor hours a week. Um, with about 150, 200 employees with a lot of client interaction and things like that. And I had to learn a process on how to develop um, performance measurement, various ways of doing that. And as a result of that, I applied that to studying players. Um, and the, the, the processes that I learned were really about how they build on themselves. So the RSP is really a document devoted to those four positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, Everything's fully defined with, uh, you know, in terms of the criteria. I take you through the scouting process of what I do, um, how everything's defined, how everything's graded, and I try and do it in an entertaining way so that you can see how everything's broken apart and then put back together again. And I give you in-depth profiles of those players. And in addition to that, you get a post-draft guide. So as a dynasty owner, you know, you get a chance to see my rankings versus ADP and, ADP of where those players are being drafted right after the NFL draft. And I help you find a sweet spot for where you should be picking those guys. Um, and so that way, if I have Patrick Mahomes as the number one guy and everyone was talking about Trubisky and Watson, um, I can tell you, you don't need to pick him number one. You can get him, you know, at pick 15 and still be able to get somebody in the first round and, and get double your value. Um, so that's the, and I do depth chart analysis and things like that. And then you also get put on a newsletter that comes out monthly um, from June through December and where I re-rank the past three classes of players three times during the year, once with the post-draft, once in August, once in November. And then I also give you updates on how these rookies are progressing as well as what the future classes are looking like based on my studies. Um, so that's the RSP in a nutshell. I like it. And uh, I was kind of laughing a little bit in the middle. So I did work at a job where we have a massive warehouse for us in the past. And I kind of imagined you sitting there either like above, you know, in the, a window that's like the executive office looking down and writing things down in the notebook. Like, hey, uh, actually, Amy, her footwork in aisle four is the, the best I've ever seen. That individual <laughs> trait each time she goes down is incredible. So I'm going to keep her there for 15 hours this week so we can maximize the, you know. Because we I was, talk about the was, individual traits, you know, is what they're doing. So. I think that's pretty funny and, <laughs> and it would be comical, but probably the more accurate one is I was the guy who, who everyone wished would probably have stayed up on the warehouse um, in, in the building there sometimes, but I was often on the floor and like working with people and teaching stuff, or I was taking them to go see office space to talk about how ridiculous this whole thing is. Um, <laughs> so when that came out, I took my staff actually to go see that because I thought this is our, um, this is actually the environment that people are trying to make it like, let's see if we can make it a little different than this. And so. annually, annually came out the WSP, the, the warehouse scouting report. <laughs> right. Exactly. See, yeah, <laughs> Hey, Matt, I want to jump right into um, quarterbacks here. So I, I got a kind of a multi-layered question um, on some the past quarterbacks from last year and, and then tying into um, a quarterback for this year. So, you know, uh, of course, I've, I've devoured I, not all of the RSP. I, I think that's going to probably take, you know, uh, the next several months. But I've, I've hit some high points and, and read on some guys that I was really interested in. Um, and so I, I did look at your um, updated, the, the three-year rankings that you do, which for those of you that aren't familiar with the RSP is really an incredible way to kind of compare uh, incoming rookies to the last couple years. And, and you do put the disclaimer in there that you've not updated these rankings based on what we've seen in the NFL from these guys. But one of the, one of the guys I want to ask you about to start is Josh Rosen. You know, in the last three years, he, he, there's only one quarterback that you ranked above him, and, and I think that he's the quarterback that's ranked above all quarterbacks right now in Dynasty Fantasy Football. What, do you see, what did you see in Josh Rosen this, 
Rosen this past year because, you know, right now in dynasty circles, he's being incredibly devalued. There's a, there's a lot of thought that, you know, and I think expectation that he's going to be traded uh, leading up to the NFL draft and, and Murray's going to go 101 to the Cardinals. So what are your thoughts? What did you see from him? Do you still have high hopes? Uh, talk a little bit about Rosen. I have high hopes, but I still feel a little bit cautious about him only because where he may wind up, wind up. If he winds up in Washington, Washington has long been a, a dysfunctional team. And as a result of that, even though there's talent there, the dysfunction might be difficult in terms of his um, development, the infrastructure that they can continue to put around him. But they have a good offensive line when they're healthy. So if they, he can get on that team with a good offensive line, um, then he has a really fighting chance to become a strong quarterback. I thought he was one of the more polished and refined quarterbacks um, in the class because he was very strong at um, – he was very strong at being able to – I see already who we're going to have in our next question coming up at some point. Um, but <laughs> I'm watching the, the Hawkeye hat come on. Well, I was thinking the but, offensive line. That's Brandon Scherf. He's see, quite, quite the mauler in college. See, that's right. That's right. Um, but he's very good at play-action passing. He's a very skilled play-action passer. He's good at manipulating the middle of the field. He has an excellent deep arm. He's very accurate in the deep game. And he's someone that if you can give him the time, for plays that allow him to manipulate the field. You have one of the better, more promising quarterbacks in the league. He's a more traditional quarterback. You know, Kyler Murray's a guy where quick hitting plays. Same with Carson Wentz, quick hitting plays. Give them the, give an embedded first read manipulation off of a read option fake where they might run or they might be looking for a quick hitting pass in one direction and then just set their feet fast and throw the ball. And they have the accuracy to do that within 20, 30 yards within a short period of time. And then to the other extreme, if pressure comes and nobody's open early, they can run around and buy time until the defense is able to basically um, get baited by all that movement and they can throw the ball over the safety's head. Um, Murray's better in terms of being able to you know, throw the ball deep than Carson Wentz is. But those guys are very good in te- on teams where the offensive line doesn't have to be awesome because they're quick hitting plays. Rosen needs that offensive line. He needs that run game um, element. He needs the ability to manipulate off of that. And if you give him that, he's kind of like a plus version of what Matt Ryan is as a thrower. And, and in that respect, that's a very strong quarterback who can be a big part of your, uh, of what goes on here. The fear is, is that every, you know, you're going to have people who are on kind of my side of the analysis and say, he could be like Jared Goff and rebound. You give him the right possibilities. And like I said with Goff a few years ago, you know, I still like the evaluation, even though he looked bad this first year. You know, people are going to hold on to that. Other people are going to say, well, how do you know he's going to land on a situation where they're going to be able to have a great offensive line and, and he's going to be in a situation where the team's really bought into him and it's he soured on the NFL. You know, those are all kind of narrative things for me. So the, the way I look at it is the facts are is that, he played well enough, given the difficult search situation. It didn't change my evaluation of him at all. Um, so as long as he lands on a team that gives him that offensive line and he has some, some veteran receiver help there, I think he can develop into being one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So if you transition this into rookie talk, potentially, would you want Josh Rosen on the Redskins or Kyler Murray on any landing spot? I would want um, – Superflex, of course. Yes, yeah, Superflex, of course. Okay. <laughs> so I would probably want long-term as I would probably stay faithful to how I've graded it, and I would keep Josh Rosen on the Redskins. And I think that's because I do like where that offensive line is heading. Darius Geis is going to be able to team with um, – you know, with the freight train, the old freight train, who's still being able to run rough shot through people and Adrian Peterson, if they keep him, it seems like they have. Um, and I think that there's enough talent there that if the line stays healthy, Rosen has a chance to make Washington a very good team. Um, so I'm hopeful. My biggest fear with that, what nags me about him going to Washington is that I just don't have a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of respect for the the management acumen of someone like Daniel Snyder. And I think that if they're 
if, you know, if there is a team that will screw things up, um, it will likely be because from the top down with what Washington has been about because they should have been talented a long time ago. That's exciting. You know, it's kind of cool to hear you talk about the needs that a guy like Josh Rosen has um, talking about needing a strong offensive line. I mean, that's got to be reassuring because literally he could be traded anywhere and we'll have a better offensive line than he had last year. And so, you know, and it also, you know, what you, what you just explained to, to me explains exactly why I think a guy like Cliff Kingsbury coming in, you know, this may be the only shot he gets as an NFL head coach. And so, you know, it sounds like based on what I know about him and the offenses he's run in the past, and the fact that he's inheriting the worst offensive line, arguably, in the NFL, you know, and he, he's got the 101, and here's this quarterback that he, yeah, I mean, historically has, has said before that he would take 101. You know, everything that you just said completely runs into, uh, makes perfect sense all of the narratives we've been hearing about them taking Kyler Murray 101. And, and also, I think, potentially, you know, why a move on to another team um, for Josh Rosen could be great, mean great things for his dynasty value. So, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, one other guy I wanted to ask you about is a guy you can probably see here that I'm representing the University of Florida. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was pretty excited to see um, what was going to, uh, what will happen with Will Greer at the college level. Cause you know, he started out at UF and, and, and played really well there before, McIlwain kicked him off the team and, you know, he went to West Virginia and just started lighting it up up there. Um, what, what are your expectations for him? What, what kind of, if, if you were to, to paint the perfect picture for Will Greer as far as draft and landing spot, what, is, what are going to be the biggest keys for him to really become a legitimate um, NFL starter and a guy that's a, a, a legitimate asset in fantasy football? I'd like to see him land on a team with a veteran starter ahead of him and give him a year to just kind of work on things like um, reading some more, you know, the more sophisticated defenses in the NFL, um, giving him a chance to spend a year um, really working on just the finer points of his craft in terms of drop footwork at, you know, from center, um, being able to um, just lead a team and, and learn from another player where he's not rushed into that situation and that there's veteran talents around him. And it doesn't mean that he needs that. It just seems to me that I just think he's the best quarterback in this class, even though Kyler Murray has the most upside. And I, and I think that because he's not considered the best quarterback in this class by a lot of people and especially NFL people there, he's probably going to slide to the second round. So I'd like to see a good team kind of trade up at the end of the first round or early second round and take him and and be able to give him a year because you give a, a young player a year to figure out what, what's going on in the new city that they're going to be in, to be able to deal with their finances and make sure they get a handle on that, deal with the family members who are most likely going to be people that they either want to help or people who want help that they don't want to give help to but feel obligated to and figure out how to be able to be mature and balance all of that which is a big deal um, and understand also how to deal with fame a little bit because you're going to be the new guy in the city and while you've been famous in college it's a little different being famous in you know in the NFL than being famous in college um, because there are certain things you're going to get shielded from in college that you won't get shielded from the NFL. Um, things just, I mean, we won't go into graphic detail, but there are people waiting in hotel, you know, in hotel lobbies for you um, in the NFL or in the NBA. And you got to deal with that kind of stuff and understand, you know, how to be a professional and how to live your day-to-day -day life. And at the same time, enjoy fame in ways that are positive and constructive. Um, so, Giving a player a year to do that, I think, is always probably one of the best things that can happen, and he's in position for that to happen because he's not high enough in terms of that draft stock. And there are guys who I, for for funny reasons, end up having actually having a higher tier for him. But as a player, he's aggressive. He's good at getting downfield, and he throws with great accuracy in the vertical game and in the, in, in the intermediate game. He made his receivers look a lot better than they are. 
Um, I thought that he was someone that can work off script. He's someone that um, is efficient with his techniques and he manipulates the field well. And I think that players are excited to play with him. And that shows a lot about his leadership too. So I think he's going to wind up on a team that whether he plays from under center a little more often or they spread the field with him, give him a year, and I think he could wind up being the most polished quarterback from this class and be a, you know, in fantasy terms, a top eight to top 12 quarterback every year. Aggressive, you know that- accurate, exciting, great leader, great first name. He's good to go. See, there you go. <laughs> so it's pretty exciting because there's a team that actually uh, Will Greer was on a visit with today. I don't know if you guys heard about this. It's the team that's got seven draft picks in the first four rounds and uh, has a relatively good veteran quarterback by the name of Tom Brady that Will, Will Greer could, could sit behind. So, you know, I, I, man, I think obviously, you know, everybody gets excited about any skill position player going to New England, but I think about a guy like Josh McDaniels there waiting in the wings to take over, you know, they have to be looking at uh, finding the replacement for Brady in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. I mean, the guy cannot play forever. So I love Will Greer. I, I remember when he left Florida, I was devastated because, you know, we were actually undefeated that year prior to his, you know, banning and, you know, sus- suspension and then ultimately being asked to leave the program. You know, it, it, he really impressed me with, with what I saw from him there and then what he did at West Virginia. So I'd love to see him get a shot. And obviously, you know, landing with the Pats would be incredible. Uh, and I think it would probably uh, create a, a situation where more fantasy. I don't. I don't think he's really on the radar right now, even in superflex leagues, for um, fantasy dynasty, you know, football player or um, fa- fantasy football players. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see where he lands. And he's a guy I'm watching closely. I agree. And you know, I mean, hopefully Josh McDaniels has learned how to be um, a better leader than he was in Denver because. Um, the story behind Jay Cutler was that, and this was told by his GM, Ted Sunquist, on the air. I was on the show when he told it, and which was, and I think he probably told it multiple times, but when um, Josh McDaniels had his first meeting with Jay Cutler after Jay Cutler had a Pro Bowl season, and they knew that Jay Cutler had a lot more to learn, but Jay Cutler had embraced that. He was ready to embrace that. Um, he wasn't the Jay Cutler we all knew in Chicago at that time. Um, it was before that. Josh McDaniels had a phone call with Sunquist, with Jay Cutler, and and with his agent. And the first thing he did was tour into Jay Cutler and talk talked about how bad he was. And not only just talked about how bad he was, but used it in terms like he was a drill sergeant from back in like the 1950s, um, you know, talking to someone in a way that was so disparaging and disrespectful that Jay Cutler literally turned to Ted Sunquist and his agent and said, get me out of here. That was the first first meeting with Josh McDaniels. And, you know, and you've seen Josh McDaniels with what happened subsequently with the Colts and how he handled that. So I honestly don't, you know, I look at that and say, that's the guy that you want developing your quarterback. That's my big concern about New England um, in that regard because, you know, the the Bears, the Bears basically traded for him because they thought they got a finished product. And the Broncos were like, we know we don't have a finished product here, but that's going to be bad for Jay because he wants out of here. And um, Jay ended up there and they expected a finished product and they didn't get one. And, and he ended up going through a cavalcade of coordinators and at some point just looked at it and was like, give me a cigarette and, and give me a better. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's awesome. luck there. Yeah. Well, also, so I wanted to, with like, a guy like Greer, because one thing with quarterbacks in the first round is that fifth year option that you have with them. So it would not surprise me at all if you see somebody in the late first, because at least now you don't hear hype about him going earlier in the first. And maybe he will than what we anticipate. But the trendy thing and what, what GMs are doing is they're like, okay, the quarterback market has priced us out of contention. So if we think, okay, we can get Greer can be a stud year three, year three, he's, we think we can develop him. He's good to go. Well, you're way better off taking that, that risk. It, at the end of at the end of round one than you are waiting until round two because you get that fifth year option and the way the NFL is structured and in, in my like in my opinion a little bit broken in that way uh, with the rookie contracts and what people are held to 
you're better off doing that than having a, the Dak Prescott situation that the Cowboys are going to run into. And I know that's yeah. a later pick, but even when you talk second round, it's still only four years. Yeah, that's a difficult thing with it because you are you're, a lot of teams realize that the way their financial structures are set up, that they have to hope that the player by year two, year three is going to be good enough and that they can be in Super Bowl window with a second-year player. Um, I'm kind of of the opinion I saw this from, I think, Kevin Cole, who is at uh, Roto Grinders, I think, who was talking, you know, he's a big fan of Sashi Brown and, and a lot of the metrics guys are like Sashi Brown forever. You know, he's the one that made the Cleveland Browns. And, and listen, I think there's some valid arguments about that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not making fun of that. I actually think that there's some, there's some validity to it. And he was quoting something that Sashi Brown said about quarterback development that I've always kind of agreed with and have talked about, which is the idea that, listen, build the team first and then get the quarterback after that. Um, because if you don't hit on the rookie quarterback after you've built the team, well, the team's going to be in, this, in the contention window. You should probably be able to get a viable free agent quarterback who's, who's actually going to find your team desirable to, to, to work with at that point if you don't hit on that. It happened for the Broncos. worked out pretty well for them. Um, so I would, you know, it almost worked out for the Vikings with Brett Favre. So, I mean, I would say, you know, give that a shot. And, and I think that, you know, for teams who have that infrastructure, you know, I work on building on that in that respect. But I do agree that, you know, there's two different approaches with that. And, and I think, you know, with Dallas and Prescott, it's going to be interesting because he's good enough to help a team win with great surrounding talent. Um, but he's not good enough to carry it on his shoulders alone in the way that teams value franchise quarterbacks. He's not a franchise quarterback as much as he is as a very good, um, I would say a good scrappy kind of fighting fighter warrior type of player who, who can help your team in pivotal moments at times. But if he's carrying it on the, on the, he's carrying the Cowboys on his back, it's going to be an awfully inspired set of moments that, you won't see in the way that, you know, with Aaron Rodgers or, or Brady or somebody like that. And let's not give up on the Vikings yet. We built the structure. And now we got Kirk Cousins, uh, the, the, goat, <laughs> the goat of Vans. So we're ready to go. He, he's good on the mattress, I hear, in terms of sleeping. So. <laughs> so I think a good pivot here and a good pivot point would be to go to our, our uh, lost Joe, Ryan, he he wrote an associate in, in kind of earlier on, and I think one interesting running back prospect, you know, who wasn't invited to the combine, and I, I have heard you talk about him lately, but I still think he's worth discussing. I actually heard him first from I, – I, I do want to kind of just note that it was Riley Bymaster from the, the Dynasty Trade Calculator podcast. The first time I heard – and we talked about Bruce, Bruce Anderson from North Dakota State because he said – I was listening earlier that he had him, you know, let's say pre-combine, pre-everything, his number three running back in this class. And again, I know you're not a huge rankings guy, but it's a good, I mean, it, it just for, it provides context for kind of a, sure, a, sure. you know, we all do. Uh, and so Ryan wanted to, to hear some stuff, you know, about your opinion about Crusaders. He wasn't able to test the combine because of injuries. Uh, you know, he, he, North Dakota state needs to be paid more attention to in general. I feel like as a college producing pro talent. So let's, uh, Let's, let's, hear, let's hear your take on, uh, you know, Mr. Bruce Anderson. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Anderson is a fine player, and he's, he's a top, he was a top five back in my classes, in my, my board as well. And um, he's someone that is very skilled with ball security. I know that's boring. It's not a very sexy thing, but at the same time, it's very important. Um, so he's very good at that. He's an excellent receiver. That's probably the thing that really flashes about his game. Um, he's someone that can – run you know different types of short routes and and be a matchup problem against linebackers and safeties someone that was virtually uncoverable in those types of drills at the senior bowl um to the point that a safety decided that he didn't want to get beaten by him anymore so that he charged up the field and just hit him at the line of scrimmage and knocked him down <laughs> um so they didn't have to have a rep and get embarrassed again um but that's where Henderson got hurt yeah it was a good play very smart. He got points for that. Um, but, but Bruce Anderson certainly is an excellent receiver. And it's not just in the short area of the field as a route runner. He can get deep. He's someone that can um, adjust extremely well to the football. He's a smart runner. He blocks pretty well. He's going to improve as a blocker to the point that I don't think it'll take him long to develop into um, uh, a player who can be on the field every down as a blocker. 
Um, so he's, he's, I think it could be as soon as uh, a training camp this summer, if he's able to apply himself and stay healthy. So I like him well that way. He's not unbelievably fast, but he's fast enough. Um, but he's, he has good vision. He understands how to, to press creases. He understands how to run um, different types of blocking schemes, and he does that well. Um, and he's also an ace special team player, not just as a returner, but as someone that can cover kicks. So if teams devalue him and he ends up being a late-round pick for some reason, he would end up – I think he will uh, make his bones pretty early on in special teams and, and will get his shot to be able to see playing time on the field. And once that happens – I think that he can prove to people as at no worse as a committee back who can do change of pace and third down work for you um, and be an integral part of the receiving game. But I think there's a little more to his game than that. I think he can be a starter. Um, and I think he can do that in a variety of systems though. I think a spread offense is probably where the, you know, the NFL will probably look at him and say, he's a spread offense back, you know, that because of, they'll look at his size and think that that's probably what he is. The, the, he's one of the players that I think he's not going to go very early in the NFL draft and he's not going to go as a clear cut starter, but he's one of the reasons taxi squads were invented for dynasty fantasy football. No, oh, absolutely. He, he absolutely is. I think that's a great way of looking at it. He, he's a guy that could wind up being like a great pick in the fourth or fifth round of a dynasty draft. You know, while we're talking about running backs, Matt, I wanted to ask you, and, and I tend to not try, try not to get too caught up with uh, situation when it comes to fantasy because situations change um, so quickly, right? Like two years ago, nobody wanted to own any Cleveland Browns in fantasy. And now, I mean, you know, you pick a player on offense in Cleveland and I'll show you a pair, the player that's rocketing up ADP. Um, which running back out of this class, if you had to pick one running back that had the, the most to gain as far as their value and fantasy based on where they land, obviously landing spots going to be important for, for most running backs. But is there, is there one guy that you'd say if he really lands in the perfect spot, and maybe you know exactly what that spot looks like, he is going to be the biggest leaper among running backs. Darrell Henderson out of Memphis. If he gets into a team that wants to spread the field, use him from pistol and shotgun, and and then send him out of the backfield from the slot or split wide and let him um, work up field, work downfield. Say I don't know Kansas City. Say for instance, even though they have Carlos Hyde and they got all those other guys, then they might be missing Tyree Kill, obviously, to the off field, um, and they spread the field well and they use running backs in those capacities that I just described. And with Patrick Mahomes, you know, and, and what they could get maybe weapons wise, Daryl Henderson, Daryl Henderson to me, if you use him in a spread system and use him kind of as a space player um, or use him in open space in the way that even Alvin Kamara was used a lot in space, he could be the top fantasy player in, 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 um, among the the running backs on this board, and he would be my top, he's my top ranked um, kind of space third down um, player at that position. When you uh, when I alter my um, my rankings towards those types of um, skills that match that need, um, so I think he would be, he's a really is the answer to that question. He's just an incredibly fast player. Um, on the field, he's tough to bring down because of the momentum generated power and balance that he has. He's an excellent receiver, um, and he's a smart player. I think he can even do well in schemes that are not spread oriented. And I think that he'll he has a chance to be one of the better players. But I think that it really would stand out if those scenarios exist for him. One thing that so so using Kansas City as an example. And I don't know much about uh, Memphis's quarterback and what they did, but, but one thing I've not noticed or like overly tracked, but it comes from, you know, you, you've seen, I'm an Iowa fan, but I, I watch a lot of Iowa state as well. And one player that comes to mind to me is Alan Lazard from last year in the senior bowl and him dropping passes coming from Josh Allen and things like that with a guy like Darrell Henderson. Do you worry about with, like route running with, with him and a quarterback that can really rock the ball and learning that and adjusting to that in the NFL and a side note of that, too, is I think you saw that early on with Sony Michelle this year with his routes that he was running because he would stop in his route expecting the ball to be put on his chest, 
And it was like one of his first games played when he came back after injury. I remember seeing the play where Tom Brady was like, like, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you continue running? That's what NFL players do. But he was like, Georgia, you know, you, you had top end recruits, but they're used to stopping having the ball put on their chest because the scheme is fit to the space of the, the college game. So is that something you had? So saying Kansas City and using him as an example, is that a, like something you've noticed in the past or something you're concerned about currently with, with a player like him? I just kind of look at it too as part of being adjusting to from the college game to the NFL. There are going to be differences. There are going to be certain intricacies that are going to be expected. Um, quarterbacks get ticked off pretty easily in the NFL. They and they're going to have a high degree of urgency. And so when you miss something, they're going to yell at you. That's just kind of normal. It's kind of what happens. Um, you know, the best way I describe it is I got a chance to interview Ben Watson, former University of Georgia tight end who's played all over the NFL, including with Tom Brady. And, um, and Watson, I asked him about, um, you know, I did this in a, in a different job um, before I left and started doing this full time. But I asked him, I said, what's, you know, what's the difference between playing, you know, at, you know, Sanford stadium where it's about the size of an NFL stadium, maybe even bigger um, and playing in the sec and playing in the NFL. I mean, what's really the difference there? I always hear there's a lot more pressure and I can understand why, but why is that? And he said, when you play in the college, it's always fun. It's always celebrated. Even though there's pressure there, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot more fun going on with that. And the, and the pressure isn't as high. He said, but, and you're playing with a bunch of young men. He goes, when you go to the NFL and I'm going to use my own, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, because he said it nicer than I'm going to say it. Um, but He's, he said, when you're in the NFL, you're playing with grown-ass men and they're paying their mortgages and they have bills and they have pressures with their family and with other types of things going on that, that they're serious about winning games. You know, not that the college game isn't, but there's that ad, added financial motivation knowing that you need to make as much money as you can in a short period of time because your career could end on any play. And so you he said when you are in the locker room before a game in the NFL you feel that pressure when you're on the field you feel that urgency and you feel and you look around and you see the intensity and he said and it is it's grown men who are paying bills off of this and you don't want to screw up and so what happens oftentimes is when you're under that kind of pressure on a stage you overthink things it's easy to overthink or second guess or make dumb mistakes early on, and you're going to get near full. Demarius Thomas, the story my buddy sees Salami at the Audible would often talk about, cover the Broncos in practice for years every day. So when Peyton Manning came in and there was Demarius Thomas, big, fast, strong, raw route runner who basically ran straight lines during the first half of his career before, <laughs> um, before he got Peyton Manning in him, is that he, you know, he ran a break one time and he didn't run it to the correct depth. And Peyton Manning laid into him for about five minutes, you know, basically telling him about how it needed to be done, where it needed to be, why it needed to be that way. How could you not think about doing it this way? Do you know what's going to happen if you don't do it like this? And you better get it together, son, because we're going to, you know, or else it's going to be a long season for you because I need you and this is what's going to happen. And then just drilled and drilled and drilled him until he became a good route runner and he became one of the better route runners in the league for a time. Um, but that's, that's the difference. So I don't worry about that as much. I mean, I, you know, because this, every, every player has to encounter it. I think it's a great point. Great point. So I wanted to marry Thomas too. I was like, man, I caught a touchdown pass from Tim Tebow in a playoff game. You take a relax. Let me tell you one more Peyton Manning story. Okay. Uh, I knew I, a guy I graded fairly high one year. Um, who didn't pan out, but he's a he's an excellent coach um, in Indianapolis now, not for the Colts, but in the high school scene, is a former running back who played with a number of college um, pro teams in various locations, kind of having a cup of coffee with him, but kept getting hurt. His name's Chad Spann out of Northern Illinois. And Chad Spann was um, added to the Colts roster his first as a rookie, like late in the draft. Either it was a seventh-round pick or a UDFA. And it was the year that Peyton Manning – had the neck injury and couldn't play. And he told me during that year, 
you know, we'd get go back and forth and he'd, he'd share stuff with me. And one of the things he shared with me was that the meeting room with Peyton Manning, and he even said this in hindsight afterwards, he said, the meeting room with Peyton Manning in it is unlike any type of situation he had been in with the other four or five teams. And he said, the reason was is that Peyton Manning was the coach and offensive coordinator of that team. And I said, well, what, to what extent? He goes, I was in a meeting after a preseason game where I was on the field and there was a certain um, type of either it was a blitz pickup or route adjustment that I made. And the running back coach was next to me and everyone's in the room. The whole offensive team is in the room watching the tape and everyone's kind of the coaches are talking with their little groups with where the seating is as this is all going on, the tape's going on. And the coach said to me, you need to fix that, Chad. You need to do this. And Peyton was literally sitting in a row in front of us and he overheard that and he didn't even turn around. He just said, stop the tape. And like that, they stopped the tape and, and <laughs> rewind it and rewound it. And then they showed it again. And he looked at it one more time and he turned around to, the, to Chad and he goes, you need to do it just like you did it. And, and Chad turned and looked at the coach because, you know, he was like, do I listen to Peyton or do I listen to the coach? And the coach looked at me and said, if Peyton said, do it, you do it. And, <laughs> and he said that Peyton spent literally, even though injured, he spent every day drilling them with, you know, doing drills with them, even though if he couldn't throw, he was doing handoff drills and doing different things with how they set and how they aligned and things like that. So Manning really was what made him special was that he literally was a coach on the field and he could be that unifying voice for a team. And very few quarterbacks are like that. If any, I feel like you, I don't know if we've seen another Peyton Manning. Yeah, we probably won't for a while. Uh, I feel like you've talked a lot about Alexander Madison. And the only thing that I, so for, you know, our, for listeners that haven't heard you talk about him before, the one thing that scares me is you've used a little bit. You said, you know, I see a better version of uh, Jamal Williams. Yeah, Jamal Williams. Jamal. And uh, Jamal Williams is like a, it's like one of those negative connotation buzzwords you hear now. You know, it's like a corn syrup or something. You know, that's, that's what I feel he has right now. And I don't think, and I think Jamal, people forget Jamal Williams won people. Uh, fantasy playoff games last year when he took over after Aaron Jones was hurt. But anyway, uh, long story short, can you, can you give us a little bit, uh, Ryan put in here, since again, you guys, I don't know if you guys know Ryan's sick, uh, RIP Ryan until next week. Uh, he's, he said that you heard him uh, potentially be a really great fit with the bears as far as that, that scheme and what they're doing. And I think fit, like so let's, let's just expand on the bears cause he's a bears fan, but uh, where, you know, a landing spot where Alexander Madison could land that you think we should be excited about. I think the bears would be a pretty good one to start with. And we'll talk about that. And I think that's because you can, you, he's a versatile player. I mean, you know, people look at Jamal Williams and the, yeah, I think that was a great analogy to say. It's kind of like talking about corn syrup and, and, and in terms of, you know, in terms of that, but at the same time, listen, you're going to go out on Sunday and you're going to have a hot dog, and you're going to have a Coke, and you're going to watch the game, and you're going to have fun, you're not really worried about the diet you're having at that point, are you? And if you are, you are you're pretty much need to either just avoid going to these games or, you know, just not be a downer about it. Like, just don't eat, you know, because if you're going to make a fuss at the stand about whether or not the Coke you have is cone syrup, has corn syrup in it, you shouldn't even be drinking Coke at all. So, um, but, the <laughs> but the point is, is getting back to Jamal, is that, you know, I thought he would be quicker. Um, I thought he would become quicker and develop even more acceleration than he did. Ray Rice was an example of a player who was able to do that um, from his first year to his second year. And, I had, and, and he had great success as a player on the field for a time. Jamal Williams is a player who didn't make that transition. And part of that was probably because he was already a big-time workout warrior and had maxed out his body. And I didn't think he, I thought he had more room. So it didn't work out that way. But at the same time too, he's also in a Packers organization where there was so much turmoil on offense and how they use the run game in the pass game that as we saw in Tyler Dunn's article, um, that basically th this team was basically the, the, the back end was barking at the front end in terms of the, in terms of an offense and they were running around in circles. So, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, and Aaron Rodgers basically was like, I want to do what I want to do, which means throw the ball most of the time, even when the run game was working. And even when Jamal Williams was part of that run game that was working 
in certain games that that I saw. Um, so he's but he's a little more of a power volume bat. You look at Alexander Madison, his his short shuttle and his three cone drill are definitely in what I would call the starter tier in terms of of what I'm looking at for metrics. I know that you may go to some places and the way they look at it is by percentile. Is he in the 58th percentile or the 95th percentile? That doesn't really give you an idea of really is that enough or not enough for the NFL. When you grade by percentile, you're just basically saying bigger, stronger, faster, quicker, higher is better rather than is it enough? You know, because once it's enough, then the technical skills have to come into play. And so his skills are better than Jamal Williams. I gave Jamal Williams a little more credit than he should have because I projected that he would get a little bit better. I don't need to project anything more from the skills for Alexander Madison, even if his percentile of guys is lower, you know, because every player who's going to be good doesn't have to be like the 95th percentile in, in this skill. If if the baseline mark, if what's good enough to ride the ride is the 66th percentile, then why are you, you know, this isn't going to give you double, triple brownie bonus, double dog dare points, you know, for making him a better player um, in all, in all certain areas. He can run very well in both types of schemes. He's very patient. He has great footwork, good balance. He can catch ball the backfield. Um, very smart player who can carry the load. And because he has great footing, too, in bad weather conditions, Chicago would be pretty nice. Playing Green Bay would be pretty nice for them to be able to, you know, for him to be able to have games like that. But he's quicker than he, – he's very quick. He's very strong. He's, he's efficient with how he uses his footwork. He doesn't match all the production metrics that a lot of people go after, but he's someone that on film – plays very well. And when you looked at his pro day, he actually improved his 40 times substantially. Um, so he's a guy that I think that if you put him in a, in a zone scheme, running inside zone, some outside zone, he'd play very well. Um, so you could see him in a team like, um, you know, a team like the Bears. You could use him in the shotgun, and that would work just fine, or in the pistol. But you could also see him on a team like San Francisco, where they ran some outside zone um, as being kind of a, a more inside zone complement to Tevin Coleman um, and if they needed him, but I don't think they will. You could see him sitting behind a guy like Lamar Miller in Houston um, where if Deonta Foreman doesn't really fully get healthy, he could take over for Miller at some point and be a good change of pace until that time. He can run gap. you know. I don't know if that would be the ideal situation for him, but running gap schemes like power counter and and things like that. He might be a nice um, first, first and second down back for a team like the Dolphins. Um, and then, you know, Buffalo, oh, yeah. Buffalo's getting a little long in the tooth. They've got two great players, but you know, Alexander Madison gave him a year behind those guys. That'd be a nice, that'd be a nice setup if they can, if their quarterback can continue to progress to a level that he needs to. I also think it'd be fun for a selfish reason that he would go to like the Vikings and be that backup Dalvin Cook um, yeah, for, for those situations where needed. I'll tell you another one that fits, and it's right here in Georgia, which is in Atlanta, um, because Devonta Freeman is probably wearing down. Um, and while I like Brian Hill as a, as a backup um, and has some interesting intrigue there, um, I'm not a big Edo Smith fan in terms of thinking that he's going to be an every down back, but Alexander Madison could replace Devonta Freeman at some point. That would be a, that would be a really nice match there. It's really great praise for him too. I was so excited about Brian Hill when he was coming out of college. And then when he went practice, you know, he went there behind Tevin Coleman, Devonta Freeman, the practice squad and the Cincinnati practice squad, which is like, that was, uh, was that, I'm trying to think that the, the timing of that too, is just when since you didn't really want yeah. anybody to go to Cincinnati, especially on the practice squad. Exactly. Uh, and I guess to, to I, I, one quick note, and I didn't have it on there before, you know, before we move on to maybe wide receiver, tight end uh so 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 Bryce Love watching his film and over the years uh I, I actually don't know off the top of my head where, where you have him in the portfolio and what, what you see but do you see where he's kind of a fit guy where if he lands in a good spot and let's say he can take a year off like they have a little bit of death but maybe it's some contract depth where you have players who are going to be running out 
do you feel like he's, he's a, a, a player that's going to have a potentially good chance to succeed in the NFL? Or are you kind of checking out on Bryce Love? Um, I'm looking at him mainly as a, as a PPR back who can maybe give you some good production if he gets the perfect fit. You know, kind of like James White, where he's been, you know, kind of like Theo Riddick at certain years. Um, you know, unfortunately, how um, I can't remember his name to save my life right now. The Browns back who they want to trade, Duke Johnson, kind of like how Duke Johnson, um, a lot of people are clamoring him for him to be somewhere. Um, but I don't think that I wasn't big on the Bryce Love hype two years ago. I watched him and was like, he's a space back who has pretty good vision, doesn't have great balance. Um, he has really good speed and acceleration, um, but his game is getting an open space. So you need that fit to put him in that range. Um, but I didn't see him as a special player. I didn't see him as a top ranked guy. And I don't, and, and even last year, the offensive line was a big reason why his production went down more than anything else. Um, he's a solid player. Um, but I think he's very dependent on fit again as well. Um, and I have him, I don't even have him in my top 25. Yeah. I remember, uh, we did a a rookie mock draft, like super early way way beforehand. Remember Trey with with Nick Whalen, I took Bryce love in the first round and he basically was like, "Will, that's a horrible pick and you're dumb for picking that. No, he didn't say that. He just, he just went into, you know, like hit movement and the way he sees it. It's so good guy. Yeah. Oh, I love Nick. Yeah. Uh, but it was funny. It was one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is why we're the fantasy Joe's though. And why we bring up these players during the draft. He also loved Auden Tate, which was a pick in my draft in, in that year, in my first round who did, you know, similar oh. characteristic or different characteristics. Uh, and just hasn't, hasn't pinned up. But anyway, so what I wanted to get, get at the, the point I wanted to end with, with Bryce Love is it's easy to fall into those 2017 stats. It's so easy to fall into those 2017 stats because they're so Great, and he was up there in the Heisman voting, but to keep in check, I mean, I still think, I mean, who isn't worth a fourth round flyer in, in rookie drafts in, in dynasty fantasy leagues? So yeah. it's like you know, but uh, exactly. don't, just don't, don't, don't get hopes too high in, in that kind of scenario. Yeah, you can probably get him late and stash him on your practice squad and see where he fits, and where he fits will, will, will dictate a lot. You know, so I mean, um, if he lands on a team that you can afford to let be patient with him, why not? So that's part one of our conversation with Matt Waldman. We'll be back later this week with part two, where we talk to Matt about 2019 wide receivers. In the meantime, we are the Fantasy Joes. You can find us on Twitter at FFJoes. You can check us out on Patreon. Support us on patreon.com slash fantasyjoes. You get an exclusive Patreon-only episode twice a month. And join us next week for part two of the conversation with Matt Waldman. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are... The Fantasy Joe.